As we look together at what really is a, a topic or a subject for this morning, I recognize as you do, as we come together and uh, commemorate something like the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, which churches throughout the nation are commemorating this morning, that uh, the subject of abortion and the sanctity of human life and what goes on for those who are infirm and unable to care for themselves too often in our country is not a pleasant subject. And as we look at this subject together, you need to realize <clears throat> that it's not easy for me as a pastor to address a subject like this any easier than it is for us as a congregation to hear and to consider this subject. But there are certain things that you cannot keep quiet about. There are certain things that go on that people cannot sweep under the rug. And this is one of them. Let's join together in prayer. Dear Lord, as we look at your word and consider its implications and impact upon our lives this morning, we ask that you would be gracious to us as a people. Lord, as we consider what people do in our nation, we recognize that sin is not something that is unique to others. Sin is something that has touched our lives something that we have been born with because of the sin of Adam that has carried forward. Sin is something that we do on a daily basis, Lord. We are sinners who need your continuing forgiveness. And Lord, whenever we address a particular evil, we look at it and walk around it, Lord. There are times when we say, that evil is in my life and in my heart. And if we are being worked on by your Holy Spirit and responsive to your Holy Spirit, Lord, we repent of that evil and that sin. And by so doing, Lord, we find forgiveness and peace with you that quiets our hearts, makes our souls at rest, and gives us the promise of eternal life. Lord, if we are not responding, however, to the Holy Spirit, we continue in willful rebellion. Nothing that your word says makes sense because we are not in harmony and not in communion with you. But as we look at this, Lord, as we look at any evil or sin in our nation and in our world today, oftentimes we are able to look at it and say, now that does not characterize me. And if it truly doesn't, Lord, we ask that you would be gracious to us and keep us from hearts of pride and anger towards those whose lives are taken up or given over to this sin and idolatry. Cause us to realize above all else, Lord, as we look at your word and desire for it to have a powerful work and sway in our lives and our hearts, cause us to realize above all else that we, all people, are sinners. And any sin is deserving of eternal condemnation. And so, Lord, none of us is better than any other before your kingdom and your throne and your judge's bench. Instead, we are all sinners in need of forgiveness. Cause us to look at this, Lord, to repent in our own hearts of our own sinfulness and to be people willing to be used to point out with grace and compassion sin to others that they too might turn like we to you 
and in repentance find forgiveness. We ask this of your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like to do first is to give just a short list of the events and occurrences of the last year. Today, Randall Terry, founder of Operation Rescue, sits in prison, serving a five-month sentence for his actions. Most people understand that he presented candidate Bill Clinton with an aborted fetus, although he did not take part in this action, and those who actually did were not prosecuted. Last year at the United Nations Conference on the Family in Cairo, Egypt, our government sought to export abortion to the third world countries by seeking to tie foreign aid to their offering full pregnancy services, full pregnancy planning services, and you need to translate that, including abortion, or primarily abortion, to all of their people, insisting that this be carried out even in the outback where countries do not even have the facilities to offer emergency medical surgeries. The next conference on the family will be held in China, the country where forced abortion and forced sterilization are the norm because they insist on a one-child-per-family rate of growth. In the past year, two men committed murders as a result of their beliefs regarding abortion at abortion clinics. This year, the federal government Department of Justice sent out guidelines to all abortion clinics and considered placing federal marshals at clinics throughout the nation when the violence level at U.S. post offices is at least twice as great and there are no federal marshals there even though post offices are federal facilities. Last year, the Chinese government targeted a young Chinese woman married to an American planning on coming to this country in several months' time for a forced abortion against her will. Several of our elected representatives contacted the Chinese government vigorously opposing this cruel and violent action while the president of our country refused to intervene on her behalf. This past year, Jack Kevorkian continued to hold the state of Michigan hostage, continuing to assist in suicides by taking part in murdering terminally ill patients with impunity, despite laws to the contrary. Last year, our courts insisted that Chicago could not refuse to pay for abortions for women unable to afford this procedure themselves. This past year, the people of Oregon voted to allow doctors to help kill people, as Jack Kevorkian has been do doing over the last several years. Last year, our government, the National Institutes of Health, approved a fetal tissue research, lending their support for the extermination of children through ghastly methods. This past year, numerous pro-life and anti-abortion candidates were elected to federal office and state office throughout the land. Last year, the Abortion Alternatives and Crisis Pregnancy Center counseled with several hundred women, listing some 20 children born to their clients, more than 20 children born to their clients in the December newsletter. And there were undoubtedly more that were not reported. Unquestionably, some of these children were saved from death by abortion. Speaking more of the Abortion Alternatives and Crisis Pregnancy Center, each year they refer about 12 men, women who put their children up for adoption through adoption services. In the work of the Abortion Alternatives and Crisis Pregnancy Center, 7 to 10 volunteers came in once a week over this past year to be available to counsel and help those in the midst of crisis pregnancies.
20 plus people made themselves available to take the hotline during after work, after work hours so the people, women in difficult pregnancy situations could get help 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Over 200 people participated in the annual walkathon, raising over $11,000 in a day for the work of the center. And some 30 plus churches gave regular or special gifts. Numerous individuals gave and prayed for the work of the center. Last year, numerous families adopted newborn and older children, children of this country, children of other countries, providing loving homes for those children who might otherwise have been added to the list of those killed by abortion. Statistics indicate over the past year and the past several years, the fewer and fewer medical Schools are providing training in the procedures of abortion, in part or tied to the fact that fewer and fewer young doctors want to have anything to do with this medical murder. A short list in contrast. But despite all these occurrences of recent days, there is something that never changes, because God's view never changes. His law never changes. His decree regarding human life never changes. So despite the views of our friends, whether they are in favor of abortion, although we know few would ever acknowledge this, the way they would say it in order not to scandalize others is that they are in favor of a woman's right to choose. Whether our friends are in favor of abortion or opposed to abortion, we need to concern ourselves with the question, regarding the solid rock because that is where we need to stand what is God's view what does he say when legalized assistance for suicide for instance comes up for debate and makes its way perhaps onto the ballots of our states we need not concern ourselves with the majority view although this will concern us greatly and deeply but instead again focus on finding God's view. <clears throat> As we examine what the Lord says about this great issue and terrible issue of our day, let us turn to the example of Gideon. For those of you who have been a part of the last two weeks' study, you will remember that when he met the Lord face to face, he was given a task which he performed with great fear. He was told that he was to tear down his father's altar to Baal and Asherah pole standing beside it. See two truths from this work of the Lord in Gideon. First, that the Lord called Gideon to purify his own family before he began a work among the people of his nation, the Israelites. And second, see that his work in removing the idols of his father, his family, his friends, and his neighbors was a work that made him afraid. It says specifically, because he was afraid of what his neighbors and family would do. He was afraid for great reason, because he knew exactly how the people felt about their right to worship these false gods. He knew that they would hate him and perhaps try to kill him for it, which indeed was what they tried. Applying these truths from the life of Gideon... <clears throat> the iconoclast, which means idol smasher, to our own lives and day, we can see this. The Lord always calls people to humble themselves first. He never calls you and me to humble someone else. 
before humbling ourselves. He calls his people to be his people, to acknowledge our own personal sinfulness and worship of whatever the idol is before he gives us the opportunity to deal with it in the lives of others and call others to account for it. And so as we look at this idol of putting human convenience and rights before the value and sacredness of human life, you and I may say that we have not had or encouraged abortions. And yet we need to look in our hearts and see whether there is any willingness to accept this. Any weakness on our parts. The Lord calls us first to remove our own altars. In humility acknowledging our sin in order for us to be in a position so that we can deal humbly with compassion with others. He calls us to deal with others as sinners who have been called to repent and have done so, talking to other sinners who have not repented and so need to hear God's call to repentance. Secondly, we cannot go speaking of this issue with impunity. We cannot speak of it heedlessly, carelessly, because it is extremely volatile. Speaking out against this idolatry, because it is a serious issue of our day, an idol to which many people bow, which many people value extremely highly, speaking out against this will, quite likely, lose us family, friends, and neighbors. We may well, as Gideon was liable to do and did, gain hatred that won't quit, and we may suffer greatly for it. But that is the risk when we, as Gideon, do as the Lord calls in exposing evil. Does the risk, the fact that we cannot speak of it with impunity, the fact that we cannot just go carelessly chattering about it in the world today, does this risk and danger mean we shouldn't touch it? No. It simply means that we must go in God's strength. Not in our own strength, but instead relying upon Him, not upon ourselves. Doing it for His honor and glory, not for personal fame or infamy. And so I'd like to draw your attention to several scripture passages this morning and to make some points on those scripture passages which we need to take to heart. The first is that the shedding of human blood does not ever go unnoticed by God. He holds people responsible for this in a way in which no other crime against man is judged. Killing human beings is different, for instance, from killing animals. Indeed, in the Old Testament, the killing of human beings is to be atoned for by the shedding of the blood of animals. Deuteronomy 21, beginning with verse 1. (coughs) This is how highly God values human life. (coughs) If a man is found slain, lying in a field in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess, and it is not known who killed him, your elders and judges shall go out and measure the distance from the body to the neighboring towns. Then the elders of the town nearest the body shall take a heifer that has never been worked and has never worn a yoke. Lead her down to a valley that has not been plowed or planted and where there is a flowing stream. There in a valley they are to break the heifer's neck. The priests, the sons of Levi, shall step forward. 
For the Lord your God has chosen them to minister and to pronounce blessings in the name of the Lord and to decide all cases of dispute and assault. Then all the elders of the town nearest the body shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley, and they shall declare, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it done. Accept this atonement for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, O Lord. Do not hold your people guilty of the blood of an innocent man. And the bloodshed will be atoned for. So you will purge from yourselves the guilt of shedding innocent blood, since you have done what is right in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord places such value on human life that he cares even when any old person is killed out someplace and the murderer is unknown. He cares so much about it that he required in this Old Testament Deuteronomic law, he required the elders of the nearest city to atone for the blood of this person, although they had nothing to do with his killing. Why does he care so much for human life? Why does he allow a heifer, an innocent heifer, to be killed because a human was killed? Well, we have to look way back to the very beginning to find this message. And we need to remind ourselves of this message continuously, particularly in our world today. Then God said, Genesis 1, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man. It doesn't stop there. In his creation of all other things, it simply says he created thus and such. It goes on. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. As we look at our world today and our culture today, we realize, and this is something that I grapple with and try to figure out what God's word says about it. We look at our culture today We look at TV, we look at movies, we look at all these things. We realize back sometime in the past, you never saw a person being killed in a movie or on TV, did you? There was a point at which that barrier was broken. And now they're free to show people being killed, brutally slaughtered in any way. And yet as we look at Deuteronomy, the death of a man who was perhaps even unknown, whose murderer was completely unknown, was sufficient for God to get the leaders of the people and all the towns nearby, and particularly the town that was closest together, to repent of this evil that was committed, even though they had nothing to do with it. Our Exodus passage is a message that God does not take murder lightly. Even when the murderer is not found, people must acknowledge and atone for this terrible crime. And any who think that murder of humans is ever justified, or that you can avoid the punishment for this crime when it is considered legal, as the Roe v. Wade decision legalized abortion, must recognize that no matter how fallible, how good, how corrupt, how principled, how ungodly, how godly, how ignorant, how intelligent, how confused, or deceive the law of our day as God is and remains and always we will be the judge whose court is beyond dispute, whose court is above all courts, 
before whom the Supreme Court means absolutely nothing. And God will not withhold his judgment against the killing of the innocent. He will judge and condemn people and nations for this because it is a crime that he will not tolerate. The next passage is a passage from 2 Kings chapter 21, and I'm not going to read that this morning. But the message is a short synopsis of the life of the king Manasseh of Judah. Now, Judah is said that he did many things, including leading the people of Judah into idolatry and the people of Jerusalem into idolatry. But it is also said this in 2 Kings 21, verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. And the message of this synopsis of Manasseh's life is not to say, just to say, hey, let me tell you about this man Manasseh. He was a bad king. That's terrible. Instead, the message of this passage is this. God is saying, because of the evil of this man, because of the evil that he drew the people into, and because of their participation in this idolatry and in this murder of the innocent, I'm not just going to judge Manasseh. I am going to judge this whole nation. Manasseh is notable among the kings of Judah, and the judgment for his evil is appalling to consider. No matter how right or how just it seems at the time, God is the one who keeps a record book. He keeps a law book, which is indicated to us in his word. He keeps a record book as well. And both of them have no errors. His record book is something that is able to judge also the motives of the heart and judge them correctly every time. And we as a people need to quake in our boots because of the fact that the killing of the innocent in our country, and this goes beyond the killing of the unborn. It, can, it, it includes also the killing of those who are unable to fend for themselves. This is a national disaster. We do not see it as a national disaster at this point because we cannot see the sword of God that is hanging over us as a people. If you look at this passage in 2 Kings 21, and you'll see the different passages listed on the back of your insert. Um, They're not printed out there, but you can look them up. If you look at this passage, you will realize only too clearly that the sword of God is hanging over us as a nation because the people of Judah, during the kingdom of Manasseh, had nothing over us. Absolutely nothing. Leviticus 20 beginning with verse 1, tells us this, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Any Israelite or any alien living in Israel who gives any of his children to Moloch must be put to death. Now, Moloch was a god to whom people offered their children by putting them in the fire. In other words, immolation, child sacrifice. The people of the community are to stone him, I will set my face against that man. I will cut him off from his people, for by giving his children to Moloch, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. If the people of the community close their eyes when that man gives one of his children to Moloch, and they fail to put him to death, I will set my face against that man and his family and will cut off from their people both him and all who follow him in prostituting themselves to Moloch. You look at a passage and you cannot find one that could be clearer than this one. God will set his face against those who sacrifice their children. He will set his face against any who follow in that evil. Many people have deified and made a God out of the right to choose. 
The right to put self before others. Call it a right. Call it constitutionally guaranteed, as our Attorney General Janet Reno spoke of abortion on Ted Koppel's late night program earlier this month. Call it what you will. God places no virtue on our putting our own rights and our own choices before those of others. As a matter of fact, as we look through Scripture, we, we see so clearly that if we are God's people, what He calls us to do is instead to subsume our rights, to, to put our rights underneath the rights of other people, to put other people first. Self-sacrifice is what He calls His people to. Christ said, take up your cross and follow Me. He did not say, take up your crown and join in the procession. He said, take up your cross, meaning self-sacrifice. Give yourself up. Sacrifice yourself if you will follow me. And the proof that this is what he did is given to us in the the Philippians 2, verse 1 passage, which gives us the first early church theology. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And this is the theology. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Statement of the faith. Who did the dying here? Christ. Who did he die for? He didn't even die for innocence. He didn't die for those who had done no wrong. He died for sinners, people full of guilt. How then can we trumpet or allow other people to trumpet personal rights? If you look at Romans 12, verse 1, you realize that God says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Our bodies, our lives, are not our own personal domains. As Christians, instead, our bodies and our lives are to be sacrifices to God, meant to bring and to give Him glory in everything. Not sacrifices as the people sacrificed their children to Moloch, but instead sacrifices, living sacrifices. From our eating and drinking, we are to sacrifice our lives to God, to our working and playing, to our sexuality and our reproductivity. Everything is to be offered to Him. As I conclude, I would encourage you again to be reminded of the message that comes from Gideon. God called to see him in person. God called him into a relationship with him. And when he knew God face to face, then he was called to expose and to confront, to remove evil. First from his own family 
and then from his community. <clears throat> this past year, I received a letter. This might be an example of what God would call you to do about this in our community. This past year, I got a copy of an amazing letter. This past year, Justice Harry Blackman retired. He was the Supreme Court Justice who wrote the major decision regarding Roe versus Wade. And this letter was from a man who was one of my professors in seminary, a renowned and distinguished theologian. And in this letter, uh, <clears throat> upon the retirement of Justice Harry Blackman, written to Harry Blackman, my former professor wrote him saying, you must think and realize that the legacy that you have left this country that will be remembered for decades is the fact that you approved of the killing of the unborn. And in essence, kind and compassionate, yet, yet firm though it was, the letter said, to this retiring Supreme Court Justice, realize what you've done and repent of it before it's too late. What can you do? You have to ask yourself that question. You have to wait for God to lead you as to what He wants you to do. Perhaps He wants you to write a letter. Perhaps He wants you to speak to friends or family who are in difficult crisis pregnancy situations. Or to speak out when other people are trumpeting the benefits and virtues of abortion or euthanasia, any one of these things, to be bold to say, God says differently. The Lord will call you to do something different than he calls me to do because he calls people to respond differently. He may cause you to, be, to respond by being a volunteer at the Abortion Alternatives and Crisis Pregnancy Center. He can ask you to respond in a number of ways. But I would encourage you with this message the deaths of 33 million unborn since 1973 cry out for justice. Those yet to be sacrificed call out for yours and my protection. You and I cannot play deaf or dumb. It is our very nation that hangs in the balance. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we look at this very difficult and disturbing subject, this evil that goes on in our nation under the guise of rights, under the guise of constitutional guarantees, under the guise of helping those who are unable to help themselves, keeping people from suffering. These things that go on under many different names, Lord, we recognize that you regard as the taking of human life, which is sacred before you. Cause us to see this as you see it, to respond to it, to it as you would have us respond to it that our nation might be freed from this great evil. Have mercy on us that we might repent and so escape your justice. In Jesus' name, amen.